athletic competition. It can easily be broken down into two parts. The minutes or hours it takes to complete the event. Then weeks, months, and years of joy or heartbreak. Finally, the decades to analyze and debate it. From the press box to press row, Donald Ware will break it all down for you with an in-depth look at historically black college athletics, as well as the biggest news stories and newsmakers of the day. It's time to talk the talk with those who walk the walk. From the press box to press row, here's your host, Donald Ware. You're locked in to the dopest show on radio. This is Box to Row, and I am your host, Donald Ware. Got a good show lined up for you today. Going to get to our guests and who's going to join us on the program a little bit later on. Tell you what, as you know, if you've listened to this show for any period of time, huge Washington football team fan and what a victory by the Washington football team over the Pittsburgh Steelers. You know, again, when I make these picks from week to week, and I've told you all this in the past, I'm not going to pick necessarily against the Washington football team, although a couple of times I have just because of the way that the team was playing. But this particular week, I really felt like this team had a really good opportunity to win this football game for a number of different reasons. Number one, the way it had played the last couple of games. Yes, they weren't great teams that the Washington football team played. Cincinnati win, uh, the win over the Dallas Cowboys. But it's particularly the win over the Dallas Cowboys was uh, was a not only a big win, but it was a domination by the Washington football team. And by the way, you know, if I could say this, you know, I I don't feel like this team, meaning the Washington football team, is getting the proper respect that it's due in this fashion. All you heard about when the team beat the Cowboys the first time is what the Cowboys didn't do. And okay, I'll, I'll give you, I mean, I may, I may give you that just because it was a talented team. Again, I thought that the Cowboys were going to be the team in the NFC East, had all the talent in the world, a Super Bowl winning coach that could win it. Okay, fine. The second time around, it's what's wrong with the Cowboys. The Cowboys didn't do this. The Cowboys didn't do that. What's wrong with the Cowboys. I realize a lot of that is because maybe the Cowboys are quote unquote America's team. So the, the, but again, I mean, I think if you looked at what the Washington football team did, I thought it, I mean, they, they totally dominated that football game. Then even with this win against the Steelers, like what more do you need to do? I'm still hearing talk. Even the next day, I'm still hearing talk about Carson Wentz. Okay, fine. I mean, I'm and, and that's fine because, you know, Carson Wentz will not start uh, this game on Sunday. It's going, uh, and, and rightfully so. It's going to be Jalen Hurts, and rightfully so. I mean, Carson Wentz, as I've said in, in the past couple of weeks, he just doesn't look right. He doesn't look 
good at all. I, I mean, I look at, I mean, you can talk about the offensive line and maybe some of the ineptitude with respect to the line, some of the injuries. You can look at it from that perspective. But especially when I watched the game last week, like or this, this past week, the loss, like it was more than that against the Packers. It was he, meaning Wentz, has antsy feet even before the rush comes from the defense. I mean, it was it, it was bad, and he it, it was, you know, awry on passes. He started the game out decent, but was awry on passes. I mean, it, I mean, he looked bad. So Jalen Hurts is going to be the starter moving forward. But back to the point about the Washington football team. Like, this team beat an 11-0 Steelers team. That's a good team. I realize that the Steelers were coming off a bad performance against the the Ravens. Even with that being said, they found a way to win the football game. And by the way, the Ravens have a really good defense also. So let's let's not pretend like the Steelers, you know, beat some team sisters of the poor team. Like they beat the Ravens who, yeah, okay, so Lamar Jackson wasn't there. So RG3 gets hurt. Uh, you know, it's not it's not the optimum offense, but that's still a pretty good defense that the Steelers took care of. And by the way, not only taking care of the Steelers, but taking care of the previous 10 opponents. And so I so while the rest of the national media won't give or hasn't given the Washington football team its respect. The Washington football team is going to get its respect on this national program, this platform right here on Box to Row. So I'm going to give my NFL picks for week 14 a little bit later on. As a matter of fact, last week I only had three losses, 12 and three. I think I went 12 and three, something like that. So, uh, you know, and and this was one of the upset wins. Uh, I picked another, it seemed like I picked another upset win, but we'll, you know, talk a little bit more about that later on in the program. So, a lot to get to the NBA, getting revved up. We talked a lot last week about the John Wall for for Russell Westbrook trade. And, you know, I think, in essence, an upgrade to the Wizards from this respect. You don't know what you're getting from John Wall after an Achilles injury and being and having been out for two years. We know what Russell Westbrook is, and maybe he's not the greatest shooter, but you know he's going to give it his all. He's going to play hard all the time, and you know he's going to distribute the basketball. He's going to be able to take it to the hole. He's going to play with that fire, uh, and I think that's an upgrade for the Wizards. I, I was just... You know, my my whole thing was, man, I mean, wow, John Wall had been with this franchise for 10 years and had given his heart and soul also, and it just didn't end badly. Seemed like he wanted to trade the minute he heard that the Wizards and the Rockets were talking trade. I mean, I don't know if that, I mean, that's what's been reported. And if that's the case, then I mean, that's, you know, I just think that's a little bit unfortunate. But at the end of the day, and listen, I think, if John Wall can be back to any way that he was, uh, it's going to be a good thing for Houston. Although we don't know exactly what to expect from James Harden. Like, he he obviously wants out. 
And will he play? Will he be so disgruntled that he won't play and they'll be forced to trade him? And it's a couple of different destinations he wants to go to. He wants one of the destinations is Brooklyn. Uh, and Brooklyn's going to be very, very good this year with Kyrie and Kevin Durant, who, by the way, Kyrie, <laughs> Kyrie is 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 a character, to say the least. Uh, not speaking to the media, apparently, is not going to speak to the media for the rest of the season, wrote uh, a, a note, I guess, in essence, and just going to play. I don't, I don't know. But anyway, I mean, if he goes, meaning Harden, to the Nets, wow, that tips the scales immensely. Okay, in the East, because the East is sort of open. I mean, when you look at it, I think the East is open a little bit. I mean, Milwaukee's going to be really, really good. But again, when Milwaukee gets in the playoffs, it's a different situation. It happened to them this past season. It happened to them last season. They get in the playoffs, and it's just not the same. Defenses play them differently, play the Bucks differently. Uh, but we'll see. I mean, you know, obviously we'll see how things are ultimately going to play out. So you got the NBA that's hot and heavy. We're going to talk National Football League on the program. We'll talk maybe if we have an opportunity because we got some guests lined up for you today here on the program. We'll talk uh, perhaps a little bit uh, about Ohio State in the Ohio State situation. No game against Michigan on Saturday as was previously scheduled. It's the game that the Buckeyes need per the Big Ten, at least the original agreement, per the Big Ten, got to have played it minimum of six games to be eligible, you know, for the championship game, meaning the Big Ten championship game, and then ultimately eligible, uh, well, eligible for the Big Ten championship game. So where does that, where is Ohio State right now? I mean, when you look at the college football playoff, the Buckeyes sit at number four, and you have, you know, Alabama, you got Notre Dame, and you got Clemson also. And there's just so many different scenarios, right, that we could see with respect to this playoff. A lot of that, I mean, you already have a bunch of different scenarios anyway, but a lot of that con- contingent really upon what happens to Ohio State. What, what, you know, moving down the line, I mean, Florida obviously has to get past LSU on Saturday, but what ultimately uh, could happen let's say Florida gets past LSU and then you have, you know, the championship game between Florida and Alabama and then Florida, let's say if Florida wins that, like I don't see where two, I don't, you know, I don't see where both Clemson uh, and Ohio state can get into the playoff. Uh, Okay. I, I just don't see that, but I guess it could happen if Florida loses, particularly maybe to Alabama A&M. And then let's say Notre Dame beats Clemson uh, this time around. I mean, maybe you, maybe, maybe the ACC will have to. So it's so many different scenarios that have to play themselves out. And if we have time, we're going to talk about those respective scenarios. Listen, you know, that coast, and we talked about it last week, that coastal Carolina BYU game was absolutely tremendous. Like I sat and watched the entire game, even when I had to go and do something real quick, I paused it. You know, I didn't want to miss that game. That was a tremendous football game, first of all. Uh, it was like the two teams ha- were rivals when you looked at they came together at halftime, you know, with a little uh, pushing and shoving, right? It's an intense football game, one in which Coastal Carolina came away 
with the 22-17 victory. Coastal Carolina is the real deal. And I, I tell you what, you know, BYU's no slouch. To hold BYU to 17 points for a team that scores, averages, you know, well in excess of 40 points a game. I mean, that is indeed pretty special. So we could talk about that today also on the program. Join us on the conversation. Hit us up via Twitter at BoxToRow, B-O-X-T-O-R-O-W. You can also hit me on my personal Twitter account at DWare1, my personal Instagram account at Donald. Still to come, North Carolina Central head men's basketball coach Lavelle Moten plus my Week 14 NFL predictions. But up next, we're going to be joined by the head football coach of Coastal Carolina, Jamie Chadwell. Hey, what's up? Happy holidays. This is E. And you're listening to my boy Donald Ware on From the Press Box to Press Row. The old renaissance is the new renaissance. Standing on tradition while embracing the spirit of distinction. This is the Harlem Brewing Company. Uniquely crafted beer brewed to deliver a taste, a sound, and a feeling that can only be described in one way. Harlem style. So come and take a trip on the A-Train with our Harlem Sugar Hill Golden Ale and our Harlem Renaissance Whip Beer. The neighborhood original. Sponsored by Harlem Beer Distributing North Carolina. Served in total wine all over North Carolina. Fresh Market in North Carolina and Virginia. Weaver Street Market in Raleigh, Durham, Carborough, and Hillsboro. You can also purchase in Durham at Zwelly's, Saltbox, Sam's Bottle Shop, and Bull McCabe's. And in Greensboro at Elm Street Lounge and Cooper's Ale House. You're listening to... From the press box to press row. We track down the names making news in sports. From the press box to press row. It's Donald Ware. From the press box to press row. Let's continue here on Box Row. We're joined by a gentleman in his third season as the head football coach at Coastal Carolina. I tell you what, the champion players with a huge 22-17 victory over BYU. On last Saturday, up next for the Chanticleers, Troy on Saturday, Jamie Chadwell joins us here on Box to Row. Coach Chadwell, welcome to the program. Hey, I appreciate you having me on. Thank you very much. Absolutely. I, I just want to get your thoughts. What a game. I, like, you know, I'm I'm for what people will call the underdog, and I, I use the word underdog because, I mean, if you look at it just four years ago, I mean, this was a, a Coastal Carolina program that that was playing teams in the MEAC and to get that 22 to 17 victory over BYU was huge your thoughts on your team's performance and the victory well it was it was a, a just a, a surreal day you know game day being there then to play an opponent like BYU and then to find a way to get a win there I mean if you're if you're just a fan of college football it was a great game and and just the intensity the electricity of the day uh, I'm proud of the way we fought, you know, all game long. You know, everybody wasn't giving us a chance, and our our young men just came in there and played played their guts out, to be honest with you, and, and found a way to make enough plays. And it took everything, you know, for us to win and coming down basically the one-yard line, but our guys found a way to get it done. 
Yeah, would you see with Mateo Sadipo making that tackle, like you said, right on the one-yard line to seal the victory for you guys? Well, well, you know, be honest with you, I've got half. I've got one eye open, one eye closed. You're praying, you're hoping you you somebody can make a stop because that's how intense the game was. But from our vantage point, it didn't even look like it was that close, you know. And so you're excited, and then you get out there, and they're like, "Well, they're reviewing it." And I'm like, "Was it that close? I didn't think it was that close." And so you you got all these emotions going through your head, and then just to be able to get the victory and the way Mateo did a great job. He followed what he was supposed to do. We practiced that every Friday. We've done it for two years and never had to use it. Finally had to use it, and, and it paid off. Yeah, no, I was watching the game. I mean, it wasn't as close. You're right. It wasn't that close. But, I mean, when you're on the one, they they want to make sure and all those kind of things. I, I guess I kind of get that. Um, can you speak to how this how this game came together? Like, this game, I mean, you have you have games in college football that are on the books three, four, five years in advance. This game came together in days. Well, you know, we, we get off the practice field. We're play, we're practicing for Liberty, uh, and we get off the practice field on a Wednesday, and I, I got somebody asked me, hey, are we playing BYU? I'm like, what are you talking about? And so there's these rumors that I guess Liberty was potentially going to pull out, uh, and, you know, BYU was up next. And I call my AD. He goes, ah, nah, I don't know. He said, that might be. You know, he just sort of plays it off. And then Thursday morning, 9 a.m., hey, we're playing BYU. <laughs> That's how quick it was, you know. And so we basically had 48 hours to try to get it together. I think ESPN obviously, you know, had something to do with trying to get BYU down here because game day being here. And, uh, you know, we went from we went from normally a Thursday practice is sort of your, you know, end of the week and you're getting ready and to making Thursday and Friday like two work days just to try to get yourself to play a really good team. So it was it was an unusual week for sure uh, and a lot, of, a lot of really restless nights trying to get ready. But, uh the game Saturday, surprisingly, both sides, I think, was a pretty clean, uh, pretty clean, well-played game from an execution standpoint. And usually that's unheard of on two days' notice. Shouldn't have been a shocker to – maybe it was to, to some people, but, I mean, I guess, you know, where I sit – I'm not saying that I'm shocked, but I guess where I sit, again, I mean, I, you know, I've made reference to this. Like, I can think back to 2014 – when Coastal Carolina comes to Greensboro to Aggie Stadium and leaves out of there with a one-point victory because the Aggies, in essence, miss an extra point. But, I mean, you guys are, you know, like, you beat, you've beaten Kansas twice, so you've played Power 5 conferences. So this wasn't, you know, like a, a, a monumental task for you all, per se, playing a bigger program in BYU. Well, it wasn't. You know, our, our, I think our team felt confident that we could go compete with them. Uh, you know, we know they're really good, and, and we know we're in the stages of building our program. We've only been an FBS program four years. I mean, you just mentioned that 2000, you know, 2015, we're playing in the FCS, you know, and playing FCS playoffs, and then you do your transition year, and that was really uh, an FCS schedule as well. So seventh, this is our fourth year of, of really playing some FBS football. But we have played some Power Fives, had some success versus some, got drilled by some, but that's all part of the process uh but i do think our guys have confidence and no matter who we play we do think we have a chance to win and that's not going to happen all the time obviously this year it has up to this point but i think we've built the program to where there is confidence and their expectation to win instead of hoping to win i think now they expect to win and then you just got to go do it so uh but that's been a process you know this year has, has been special but it's taken us three years of a lot of heartaches to get to this point jamie chadwell in his third season as the head football coach at Coastal Carolina joins us here on Box to Row. It's interesting because in the beginning it seemed like you all weren't able to do much uh, offensively. Their defensive line, which is is pretty stout, obviously. But your offensive line was able to make some adjustments. You had some success 
running the football to the tune of 281 yards rushing. What what were some of the adjustments that you guys made uh, on more specifically on the offensive line? Well, I, I think you're still trying to figure out how they were going to play you. And so once you get out there and, and you're running your stuff, you see, all right, now this is what they're trying to do. And then you try to give your, your guys, which were a little undersized up there, you try to give them advantage. So, uh, you know, we went to more of a, you know, a zone-type scheme that we needed to do to try to help ourselves and, 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 and try to limit some of the size advantage they did, try to get them running sideline. So you do some different things to try to hopefully wear them down. We knew if we went straight at them all the time, that their size would eventually wear us down. If you go back and look at those statistics, we had three scoring drives, and those three scoring drives, we had it for 17, 11, and 13 plays. That's a lot of time for a defense to be out there, and we had it for a total of almost 20 minutes. That is a whole half of football we had to, we had the ball. And so we finally were able to wear them down, where then at the end we could go at them more. And that was just part of it, to try to get them running. And It's like a basketball team. You, you try to press somebody. Maybe you get a turnover. It's really you're trying to wear them down eventually, and that's what we tried to do. Jamie Chadwell, again, in his third season as the head football coach at Coastal Carolina, joins us here on the program. The defense, I mean, you, you, especially when you look in the second half and more specifically the last four possessions where you hold uh, BYU to a fumble and then, uh, you know, a, a, a couple of three punts and then ultimately losing it on downs uh, or that last play of the game, I should say. Can, can you speak to really how the defense played overall? Well, you mentioned the second half, they were tremendous. I think we held them to three points. The second half, uh, I mean, that was exceptional. They were averaging 47 points a game, and they scored 17. And one thing our defense does is they pride themselves on just swarming the football and be relentless with the effort. And if you watched us, we never allowed them after the first, really the first half, to get tons of just huge plays. We we made them earn it. Every, and that's what you want to do as a defense. If you limit big plays and make offenses try to earn it, you hopefully offenses will screw it up. That's what we do typically. And our defense plays with just relentless effort, uh, and they make you earn things. And we got after the quarterback. We were able to sack him some. We got, a, obviously, a turnover. They dropped some passes, some things that they normally weren't doing. I felt like we were putting enough pressure on them to make them to make them have to think about some things. And there in the fourth quarter, I think we had – We'd wore them down there in the fourth quarter, and 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 obviously with exception of that last drive when they got to the one, uh, you know we we really held our own on them the whole time. Uh, speak to the play of your quarterback Grayson McCall. I mean, this season, just one interception to twenty touchdowns. He's thrown for uh, over uh, eighteen hundred yards. This is a young man that is just a redshirt freshman. Yeah, he's been great. You know, he's he's played nine games. He missed one game for us, and so uh, because of an injury, but. He has been, uh, I'll be honest, you know, beyond our expectations. We thought he was going to have a chance to be a good player, but anytime you, you only have one interception uh, in the touchdown interception ratio, he's, he takes care of the football. He's a leader. Uh, he is very, very mature in the, in the pocket for a young quarterback. He does things that just, uh, you know, you can't coach, and he's got those intangible pieces that a quarterback needs to have. Uh, he's just scratched the surface. You said he's a redshirt freshman. Of course, he's played nine games now, so he's, he's getting experience. But each week it's a little different for him, and he's learning and learning. And um, But we have confidence in him. He's got a lot of confidence himself, and, and we're in the position because of the way he's played uh, consistently each week. Last two thoughts with Jamie Chadwell, the head football coach at Coastal Carolina, and we appreciate the time. So Troy uh, is on Saturday. I want to get your thoughts on Troy, but even more so preparing the players to play coming off a huge you mentioned uh, ESPN game day, uh, the win over BYU. 
and then knowing the fact that BYU beat this Troy team by 41 points, so how do you, you know, make sure that your your players don't have a letdown against Troy? Well, that's a great question, you know, because uh, you know players look at different things like that, and and we know we know you can't take a game that was played earlier in the year and and and, and try to compare it. We know Troy's a really good football team. Uh, we know they're dangerous in offense, and they've got good players defensively. This is the bit. This is going to be the biggest challenge, in my opinion, our coaching staff has faced this year, because of coming off a huge win, of all the energy that you had to expel, and all the effort, and then being beat up, and then going to Troy, who's traditionally a, a really good football program, beat a lot of Power Fives, and you know they got good players, and you know they have a chance to make their season by beating you. So it's it's a huge challenge, and and you got to rely on your leadership, you got to rely on your your young people understanding what's at stake and their focus. Uh, I do believe we'll go down there and play well, but we'll have to go down there and play well to win the game. If we just go down there and go through the motions, we're going to get our butt beat. And so that's a, that's been a hard challenge for us as a, as a staff, and, and we've got to make sure that our guys understand the why behind you play. You can never look back, you can never look in the past. You just got to focus on the now. And then lastly, and we appreciate the time, Coach Chadwell, you you spoke on it a little bit earlier, but can you speak to, you know, what has to go in to a team, uh, as you mentioned, moving from FBS, but more specifically last year, five and seven, uh, to ten and zero right now with still some football to play. Troy Saturday Sun Belt Championship the, uh, game the following weekend, and then maybe on the cusp of if not, you know, in the in the college football playoff, then a high bowl seating. Like, w- what goes into that to be able to make that transition from last year to this year? Well, you know, you got to look back and say, all right, you're five and seven, and what everybody looks at say, oh, it was a terrible year, which it was in essence. But also, you look, we lost five games last year. Of those seven, we lost by a total of 24 points. So we were really close in a lot of those games. So our whole mission this off season is how do we overcome that 24, and what what did we do to cause us to lose those games? And so. It's the foundation that you build, and, and if you build a house, if you if you just rush through the foundation, then it starts getting cracks. And last year we were building that foundation, but it takes it takes some time to really make it strong and solid. And sometimes kids buy into it right away. Other times it takes a it takes a while for them to see the the big picture. And so you have to lay that foundation, have that culture, and then you have to go through some some trials and adversities to make sure that it is as solid as you need it to be and we did that last year and then you got to find ways to overcome it and this whole goal this this season was not to be 10 and 0 it was to, we're going to go play our best but we're going to do everything possible to overcome these 24 points uh and whether that's a you know whether that's third down whether that's whatever but for us it was belief and last year we were hoping to win this year we expect to and that's the main thing it's all about your mindset Jamie Chadwell, again, in his third season as the head football coach at Coastal Carolina, joins us here on Botch to Row. The Chanticleers are going to play Troy on Saturday. Coach Chadwell, appreciate the time. Continued success to you and the Chanticleers. I appreciate you very much. Thank you. Thank you, Coach Chadwell. My NFL predictions are up next. You're listening to From the Press Box to Press Row. That is the voice of Kevin Durant. I'm excited I get to play for They support us in everything we do. You know, it's a joy to, you know, go to work and, and know that you're going to be, uh, you know, they're going to shoot for you as loud as they can no matter who you're playing. I'm talking about none other than Serena Williams. That was definitely one of the better matches I've ever played. I've had it just like that. You know, it's really focused. It's really, you know, excited. He's Chadwick Bozeman and he joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. You are, in fact, a graduate. What do you remember 
most about your days at Howard? Howard is like one of those experiences where <laughs> you know it's a it's a bubble. You know it's a it's a special moment. Like I had some great teachers. Felicia Rashad was one of my teachers. You know, I just remember being nurtured to respect black writers, black directors, black actors, as well as the classics. So you got the full scope of what you should experience. And I think that's unique to Howard. I just love the fact that they respected the full scope of it. Kiki Palmer joining us here on the program. I, I've grown in a lot of different ways. I think I've definitely grown as far as my age progression. And that shows that I've literally grown, I guess, on screen. And people have seen me from, you know, a young kid to coming of age into an adult. And I feel like slowly but surely they're not taking that Akilah memory out their head, but realizing Akilah also has, you know, has grown up. I don't ever want to be typecasted as just the sweet hosting girl. That is the voice of Steph Curry. Your progress from David to now with Golden State. Where I've come from in high school into a small D1 college in Davidson. Uh, it's a great story and uh, I'm just having fun you know, living my dream and riding the ride. At the voice, of course, of T.I. It's some hard times down in the ATL, though, T.I. Yeah, and that is understood. It wouldn't be the first. <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't be the first nor the worst. But, you know, you got to stay down with the home team, you know? No, nah, no question. I'm, I'm, still, I'm still down with the skins, man. What can I say? They're, they're not doing too well right now. Well, like, <laughs> you know what I mean. We gotta, hey, 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 look, man, we gotta, we gotta hold it down so we can, so we can get it back right again. <laughs> that is the voice of Maria Taylor, ESPN college sports analyst. College Game Day is a show that I grew up watching, a, a show that I've always loved. I knew that when I was um, able to join, I was more than excited. I found out the same week as I turned thirty. And it's just something that I never dreamed I would be a part of, but something that I'm so thankful to have under my belt have done for an entire season. There's nothing like it, honestly. Hello, I'm Josh Stone, and I'm here chatting to Donald on Thunder Press Box to Press Roll. Kimber Walker. There's a lot more poise now. You know, um, the game is slowed down, so you know, I kind of know what to expect. You know, I've been watching a lot of film on our offense and, you know, what plays I can make. You know, I'm just trying to make the best plays possible. When I draw a second defender to me, um, I know my job is done. I'm just trying my best to find the open guy. You know, the difference is guys are making shots. That's been the biggest difference. I'm talking about none other than Common. Well, I ended up in Sam just because I wanted to major in business. And Sam, you had the illustrious school of business. And, I mean, I played high school basketball, but... At one point, my career kind of rounded off because I got injured and I wasn't getting as much playing time, so I became impatient. I went to school first, starting off with general studies, then I found out that business was the key. That's what I wanted to do. I got into the school of business, and it was definitely a great learning experience for me. She's regarded as the best gymnast in the world. She's Simone Biles, the ESPN Swimsuit Edition. Actually, really fun. Like, to be honest, me and Allie had a lot of fun. We were like, oh, of course, I've run the best shape of our lives. We're feeling confident about our body and we hope that other young girls and women might feel that being strong is so beautiful. So that's what we kind of try to do. Mine was just like beauty, but also showing muscles. Like I feel like when little girls look at that, they'll think it's okay to have muscles and be beautiful and like sexy at the same time in a good manner. And I think that's what we got across, hopefully. It was great. Greatest football player to ever play, Jim Brown. Muhammad Ali was a principal person in the country at the time, and he stood up and said that he was not going to the service because it was against his religion. Mm-hmm. Called all the top black athletes together, along with Carl Stoke, the first black mayor of a major city. So 
I'm glad you brought that particular incident up. Snoop Dogg is on the mic. Pay attention. Oh, man, thank you for having me play in a real way. I mean, I'm so honored. Still, you football league has done so many wonders. We got over 200 kids that have graduated from high school. We have over 50 kids that have grown to Division One. WWE champion Alexa Bliss. How does one go from being a cheerleader as you were at the Division One level at Akron to being the WWE champion? <laughs> well, uh, after I cheered in Akron, my uh, trainer had told me that WWE was having a tryout, so and they knew I was a fan. So I went online and I submitted a video to WWE.com. Um, I didn't think anything would come of it, but then I was called and given a tryout. And then after I tried out, I was signed to NXT, and it just kind of became a roller coaster from there. So we're joined by the one and only Jerry Rice. What do you remember most about those days at Mississippi Valley State? What is going on at Mississippi Valley State University? <laughs> Why are these guys putting up unbelievable numbers? And that brought the awareness to the school. And after that, I got drafted to the San Francisco 49ers. Hey, everybody, what's going on? This is Anthony Anderson, international movie star and funny mother. <laughs> and you're listening to From the Press Box to Press Row. From the Press Box to Press Row is the sports talk show that is the voice and the talk of HBCU sports with a flair for pro sports talk and entertainment. Check the show out online at www.boxtorow.com. That's From the Press Box to Press Row. Real. Relevant. Radio. My predictions for Week 14 of the National Football League. I must say I went 12-3 and three on last week, and one of the games that I won, obviously, was the Washington and Pittsburgh game. I just felt like, I just felt like, like I'm a, I'm a fan, and I told you, I know I told you in the beginning, I'd never pick against Washington, and then one or maybe two weeks I did after a couple of games. Uh, but I just felt like this weekend watching the Steelers play against the uh, Ravens last week and the way that Washington had been playing, I get it. They only played in terms of the wins, Cincinnati and Dallas, but I felt like this was a game that the Washington football team could win, particularly because just a few weeks ago, Dallas played Pittsburgh tough. And then again, Pittsburgh hadn't played uh, that well. So 12 and three on last week, one of the better weeks that I have had. So let's look at week 14 the Titans, and the Jaguars. Look, the Jaguars, like, the Jaguars are close. They lose in overtime to the Vikings. I like Mike Glennon as the quarterback there. I, I thought he, I mean, when he first came into the league, I thought he did some good things. He may have regressed a little bit, but I like him, and he gives the Jaguars an opportunity to win. The Titans, on the other hand, like, are struggling. Like, even though they only lost to the Browns by six points, the game was much it wasn't that close. It was 41 to 35. It really wasn't that close, but give the Titans some credit for kind of, of fighting back. This is a Titans defense that once stood pretty strong, not so much now in that AFC South race, Indianapolis winning a game last week, one which they were trying, the, the Colts were trying to give away uh, as well, but ultimately w- was able to win uh, that football game. Uh, listen, I, I just don't think the Jaguars have enough. It's a division game, and I like the Titans in Jacksonville. The Vikings and the Buccaneers. So this is an interesting game because you look at the Vikings and 
you know, trying to 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 hold on or try to secure or trying to secure a playoff spot. You look at the Buccaneers who have sort of been up and down a little bit coming off a a, a bye week. And there's, you know, th- there's been a lot made of, you know, Tom Brady and, you know, the, the, I mean, what he's been able to do has been solid, but it's not the same Tom Brady. And it's been a lot made of between he and Bruce Arians and what's the relationship there and all of those kind of things. You know, with respect to the Vikings, I, you know, again, I, I feel like now Kirk Cousins is starting to play uh, better. I feel like uh, the the Vikings defense is starting to come around a little bit. Um, I, I like the running game, um, but I like the I'm going to go with the Buccaneers in this game. I like the Buccaneers defense. Uh, I like uh, what Todd Bowles is bringing to the table from a defensive perspective. Vikings. I'm not going to look at what happened with the Jaguars. I just like the Buccaneers. I think the Buccaneers are going to fix some things going forward. Four games remaining coming off a bye. Um, I, I, I don't think the NFC South is in reach, but at least to make it to the playoffs, I like the Buccaneers in Tampa. The Chiefs and the Dolphins. Listen, the Dolphins coming off a win, but the Chiefs, now the Chiefs had to fight. The Chiefs really had to fight in that Sunday night game against the Broncos. And, and again, you're going to have those games where a defense is going to scheme Kansas City just right. We saw it with the Patriots when they met, even though the Chiefs were able to overcome and had, you know, that fourth quarter where they were, the uh, the the Chiefs were just able to get it done. Um, Tunga Valoa had, had perhaps his best game, at least almost throwing for 300 yards in terms of throwing-wise. Um, I just, you know, the Dolphins are still fighting. They're still fighting, but not quite on that level. I like the Chiefs in Miami, the Broncos and the Panthers. So you have a Panthers team that is coming off a bye week and you have a Broncos team that is coming off uh, again, playing a really uh, strong game and an impressive game, quite frankly, got to be impressed with the way that the Broncos played against the Chiefs. You know, Christian McCaffrey is supposed to be back, but the Panthers have some issues. They have some COVID issues. The Anderson kid, the, the wide receivers on the COVID list, um, I, I think McCaffrey coming back does make a bit of a difference. I think a good rest in an off week for a Panthers team that can look at itself and say, boy, we, you know, they've lost a bunch of games in a row, but it's a team that probably should have won a couple of weeks ago. I think made some mistakes. They had a lead, made some mistakes down the stretch. It's a team that probably could have two more wins uh, right now. I think the Broncos, you know, decent, all of that. I'm going to go with the Panthers in this game in Charlotte. The Bears and the Texans. The Bears are uh, continue to be a massive loss, what, six, five, six straight games in a row? Uh, I mean, what is going on in Chicago? No quarterback play, play per se. Although, I mean, if you look at Mitchell Trubisky, like, he, didn't, he hasn't played awful. Like, he hasn't been awful. He's just not, you know, it's just a lot with the personnel. Again, uh, you know, I, I, this was a team that was what five and one at one time. Now it's five and six. Like that's that's not acceptable. Will Matt Nagy be there next year? I, I mean, I think he deserves another opportunity to try to get it right. Uh, because you know, if you look at year one, 12 and four playoff, they were a field goal away from going from from advancing uh, in the playoffs. Meanwhile, um, if I look at the Texans. 
Uh, you know, this was a Texans team that had an opportunity to beat the Colts in that AFC South. Uh, but, you know, I, I like the tech, like I, like Deshaun Watson is, I mean, you know, didn't, maybe didn't have the greatest game last week, but he's playing well. Um, I, you know, the Texans kind of collapsed a little bit there uh, at the end against the Colts, but uh, the Bears are just not a very good football team on either side of the football right now. I like the Texans in Chicago. The Giants and the Cardinals. You talk about world beaters. We talked about the Washington football team beating the Steelers. Well, you talk about the Giants, and I sat there and watched the Giants and the Seahawks game last week. And when it was 5 to nothing, and the, 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 the Seahawks couldn't get anything going offensively, and a lot of that had to do with what the Giants were doing defensively, I felt like the, the game was there for the taking for the Giants, and it ultimately they ultimately took it. Now the Seahawks rallied. Um, but the, that Giants defense is the real deal. And you got to, you know, if you're the Cardinals, like the Cardinals are struggling a little bit right now. You know, Kyler Murray is struggling. That defense, uh, not so great. You know, the Giants are in that NFC East race right now. You, We, we called it the NFC Lease. You can't really call it that right now with the way the Giants and the Washington football team uh, is are, are both are playing right now. I, I like the Giants. I like the Giants over the Cardinals in Jersey, the Bengals and the Cowboys. Wow. Uh, very hard game to call the cow. I just Cowboys are a mess right now. Uh, you know, I look at the Bengals like the Bengals, uh, you know, I mean, they, they were rolling there a little bit and, and ultimately, uh, you know, you look at, uh, you look at the quarterback getting hurt. Uh, they're very unfortunate. I, I'm going to go with Dallas. Like I'm going to go with the Dallas Cowboys in this game, just because, you know, I think the Dallas. You know, I just don't uh, think the Bengals. No Joe Burrow, obviously. Uh, I, I'm I'm just going to go. I like the Cowboys over the Bengals simply because I don't think the Bengals are that good. Not that the Cowboys are that good, but I think you know maybe the Cowboys, you know, have an epiphany and wake up and beat the Bengals in Cincinnati. The Colts and the Raiders. I, you know, the Ra- like I'm look. I looked at the Raiders game. I was watching a lot of the games on Sunday. I'm watching the Raiders and the Jets. The Jets made the stop, I guess, on fourth down. I, I looked at the Raiders. I'm like, the Raiders. Like, what are the Raiders doing? Like, what are you? What are you doing? You know, in the world, you're supposed to lose to the Jets. I turn away. I look at the ticker. It said 31 to 28 Raiders. I'm like, that. That's a typo. Like, no way in the world the Raiders came back. And won that game. That's exactly what the Raiders do. And I said, I said last week, I said it doesn't. I said if the Raiders play bad, it's not going to matter because the Jets are so bad that the Raiders are going to win that football game, and they ultimately did. But you're not going to be able to play a game like that if you're the Raiders and you're playing against the Colts. Uh, the Colts are a little bit, uh, a little bit inconsistent, but they're winning. Um, they're, they're, they want that division crown. Obviously they're in the playoffs hunt in the division crown hunt right now. And the Raiders are in a situation where they act like they don't want to make the playoffs. I mean, you can't go and lay an egg like they laid against the Jets. They were lucky to get out of there with the victory. I think the Colts are serious. Their defense is good. Darius Leonard and and Buckner came back. You know, he came back last. We had a good game. I, I, I like the Colts in Las Vegas, the Seahawks and the Jets. Um, you know, in, in Seattle, uh, I mean, the Jets are just the Jets. Seahawks are going to bounce back. Seahawks not playing well, but, I mean, they don't have to play well against the, the Jets. I like the Seahawks in Seattle. 
The Lions and the Packers. The Packers are really, really good. Like, I watched the Packers and the Eagles. The Eagles are not a great team, but like Aaron Rodgers, you know, with Devontae Adams, I mean, that, you know, the running situation is really, really good. Um, the Lions, uh, you know, like the Lions, I mean, they're going to give them, I think they're going to give them a bit of a game, uh, uh, you know, with that, you know, they're going to give them a bit of a game, but I like certainly the Green Bay Packers in Detroit. The Falcons and the Chargers. Uh, you know, the Falcons, I mean, had a chance against the Saints. It was a, a tough game. couple of last drives by the Falcons had an opportunity to try to get that, uh, to try to, to score that touchdown to ultimately win the game. Could not. The Chargers are just simply struggling. I mean, just struggling mightily right now. Uh, I'm going with the Falcons in L.A. The Washington football team and the 49ers, this game is going to be played in Arizona. So, like the way the Washington football team is playing, big-time win. Um, you got to get over that win and get ready, uh, 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 over the Steelers and get ready now for the 49ers who, uh, you know, like I don't know, you know, I mean, they've just been decimated really by injuries, to be honest with you. Um, I like, I really like the Washington football team in this game. I like the way that it's coming off that big win against the Steelers and still in the hunt for that NFC East crown. I like Washington over the 49ers in Phoenix, the Saints and the Eagles. Jalen Hurts is going to start, uh, you know, Carson Wentz just hasn't looked good. You look at Hurts when he came in, did some nice things. Obviously, now the Saints have some tape on him. That Saints defense is pretty good, so this may be a struggle for the young Jalen Hurts, but I think he's going to be a good quarterback overall. Uh, I like the Saints in Philly. The Steelers and the uh, Buffalo Bills. I think the Steelers bounce back like the Bills. I like the Bills played well last week, big win. Uh, but I like the Steelers to bounce back, and I'm going to go with the Steelers in Buffalo. Monday night game, the Browns and the Ravens. The Browns are looking pretty good. Like, they're they're looking for that, you know, they're looking to challenge for that playoff spot, not for the North Crown per se. Um, the, the Ravens, I mean, they bounced back with the victory. Didn't look great uh, Tuesday night against the Cowboys, but a win is a win. Lamar Jackson uh, came back. But I think the Browns are playing very well offensively, defensively. I like the Browns in Cleveland. Your thoughts hit me up via Twitter or on Facebook. Up next here as Box to Row continues, we're going to be joined by the head men's basketball coach at North Carolina Central, Lavelle Moten. Box to Row.com is the website for all of your HBCU sports needs. From the game of the week feature to interviews to the latest news in the world of HBCU sports. Box to Row.com has you covered. Missed a week of From the Press Box to Press Row? Box to Row.com has all the archive shows. Don't forget to check out the All American teams and weekly media coaches' polls. From the Press Box to Press Row. And Box to Row.com. Your HBCU sports leader. It's Donald Ware from the Press Box to Press Row. Let's continue here on Box to Row. We're joined by a gentleman in his 12th season as the head men's basketball coach at North Carolina Central. The Eagles 1-2 and two on the young season. Going to play UNC uh, on Saturday. LaBelle Moten joins us here on Box to Row. Coach Moten, welcome back to the program. What's up, Don? How you doing, man? Appreciate you having me. Absolutely. It's always great to have you. And, I, you know, the thing about it, like sometime when, 
you know, our schools more specifically, and this is a, a great situation because you have North Carolina Central in Durham and, and UNC is in Chapel Hill. Sometimes you have these games there, you know, a couple of years out or, or whatever. But this is a game that came together. And I, I realize we're in the midst of the pandemic, but it came together rather quickly. Can you speak to that and in, in being able to play UNC uh, on Saturday when sometimes these games are scheduled years in advance? Yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy, man. Um, you know, with, with COVID, adaptability is going to be tested every single day. Um, whatever you once did in normal, you got to throw that out the way. You got to, you got to find. Um, it, it, it's almost like you you got to find no, normalcy and abnormalcy, right? If, if that makes any sense, you got to. You just got to figure it out as you go, and a lot of. These things are impromptu. I was fortunate to, you know, obviously me and Coach Williams, Roy, are really good friends, so we often text and talk anyway. And once he returned from the hour trip, his hour trip, he said, man, uh, we just had a game that was canceled. Um, do you want to play? I was like, yeah. So <laughs> I said, send the contract. And I said, are y'all tested? Y'all okay? And he said, yeah. Y'all tested? Y'all okay? I said, yeah. I said, send the contract. And it was literally a five-minute conversation. And then once we signed on the dotted line, I think this this was done on Tuesday, maybe Wednesday. Um, you know, we said, we'll play on on, on Saturday. <laughs> and that's literally how it was done. It felt, it, it, it just felt like you going to the gym as a kid <laughs> and bringing five of your dudes and saying, hey, man, we got next. Y'all feel like playing? <laughs> we got our five. You trying to play? And that's that's literally how this season has felt. It's weird, man. It's just weird. I'm, I'm kind of at a loss of words in terms of the formalities of everything and these opportunities when they present themselves because as we knew college basketball and the scheduling and the order of operations, that is now changing due to COVID. So you have to make decisions in impromptu and at the drop of a dime, and here we are. Yeah, which is which is good for you all because I mean you have this game, and you don't have another game scheduled. Uh, Miac play until until January, coming off uh, the loss to Coastal yeah. uh, on Monday. So this is this is good. Gives you a little bit of basketball, and uh, you know a, a good opponent. Um, you know I'm, I'm gonna tell you I'm not trying to start anything, but it's interesting because uh, last mm-hmm. month you you uh, it was on Facebook I think you mentioned. On November twentieth of two thousand thirteen, seven years ago, is a victory against NC State, right? right in overtime. Right. Uh, any possibility we could see that on Saturday? <laughs> well, we—that's what we're looking for. You know, I know Coach, and Coach knows me, and we're the ultimate. We're good friends, but we're ultimate competitors. It doesn't matter if it's Carolina, Carolina Tech, um, Carolina East, Carolina. Like it doesn't matter. We try to prepare ourselves. You know, to win, we work hard and we practice every single day, and we lift weights and 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 we get after it to prepare ourselves to win. So, who, whatever, whoever, and whatever opponent that we're preparing, we expect ourselves to win as well. It's going to be a difficult game, you know, for us, obviously, because they're coming off a loss, and I know how he prepares his team once they come off a loss. You know, they're going to be energetic, they're going to be excited, they're returning home within their comfort zone. We're going on the road, and to be honest with you, we're yet to practice as a team. Right? That's the crazy thing so we're just out here competing because we've been affected by the COVID for 28 days and then I had a couple of guys that was out and I had a couple of injuries and I had some guys you know I don't know if people know this but once you experience the COVID symptoms then players now not only have to quarantine but they have to have an EKG so that takes another 10 days to come back so they might be out for 14 for the quarantine but 
once you add the 10 days to it, that's like 24 days. So we haven't even practiced as a team yet. So I'm just interested in getting some 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 run, getting our guys some reps, and, you know, what better team to do it against besides, you know, North Carolina. Yep. Lavelle Moten again in his 12th season as the head men's basketball coach at North Carolina Central joins us here on Botch to Row. Your thoughts on the season to this point, uh, Coach Moten, where the Eagles are one and two. Man, it's been it's been you know difficult to say the least. Uh, difficult in the sense of just mentally, you know, not only for me but you know our guys. You know, the, at the end of the day, we're asking these young men to do something that everyone is not willing to do themselves, and they're asking these young men to do it. When I say they, like the general public and you know the average fan. Um, so they can go out and entertain them. That's the reality of it. So people can sit at home and change their remote and watch basketball games, and they can feel normal. But our guys, you know, I found out like doing quarantine, quarantine is really, really difficult because it's not just you're by yourself. It's like you're by yourself, but you can't be around anyone else. You can't have any kind of contact whatsoever with anyone else, and you can't go outside. So sitting in a room by yourself for 14 days for a young man, um, and not being able to go outside and see sunlight, that's really, really difficult, right? That's really, really difficult. And they haven't experienced that. And for, to do that for 14 days and then have to come back and do it for another 14, it weighs heavily. And our guys were starting to go stir-crazy. And I just told them, like, as someone who seeks mental health therapy and understands the importance of mental health therapy, I asked them, look, where are your minds at? If y'all want to play this game, we'll play. If not, we won't. You know what I'm saying? But, um it's it's kind of mixed emotions because sometimes basketball has served as a sanctuary for all of us. It's our it's been our place of escape, you know, so we can escape the realistic problems um, that we endure on a day to day basis. And so for those two hours, we get a chance to get away and you know reconcile our thoughts. Well, now you're worried about your family and your loved ones, and we had uh, you know a couple of cases of COVID, so you're kind of worried and and fear that. And now you got to track it, and you don't know if you bought it home to your wife or your family and you don't know who you were around and they're trying to track it and it's it's crazy on one end. Uh, of course, Lavelle Moten is the head men's basketball coach at North Carolina Central, joins us here on the program. I mean, we can talk about C.J. Kaiser and what he's doing, 22.3 points uh, per game. But you, So you have a great story and anybody that's listened to this program uh, knows at least to some degree about the story, but we've got a whole new listener base. So let let's. I want to talk because I, you know, I had a, I read the Raleigh News and Observer. We're here in Raleigh. You're there in Durham, and uh, Raleigh has this project called Downtown South, where they're trying to redevelop it, and there's going to be supposed to be housing and and in a stadium, all those kind of good things. And you have some involvement with that. And it's not every day you see a basketball coach that has some <laughs> involvement with something like this. Speak. Can you kind of speak to that and your involvement and your thoughts on it? Yeah, well, growing up, man, I, I, you know, obviously to people who know, they know me, but to pe I'm not going to assume everyone does, and people who don't know me, um, they know I'm from the Lane Street Housing Projects in in Raleigh, and I lived um, over half my life in those projects, so I understand the difficulties, the challenges, and everything that people face, and I've always been a historian. I understand I was a teacher before I was a basketball coach in middle school, and then I um, gravitated to high school, and then I ended up in college. But one thing when I was young, you know, we always had issues, right? And I, I just, I connected it. I said, man, there's a direct line of between poverty and pain. 
right? It's a di- it's a direct correlation between poverty and pain. In any battle that presents itself, you'll just be fighting a different battle every month, but it's always going to be a battle, and it's always affecting those low-income communities. So I sat back and I kind of watched this gentrification thing happen, and it was happening across the country, particularly in um, my city in Raleigh, and I said, man, it's crazy because everyone comes in doing gentrification, and they profit except for the people that endured the pain and the challenges. And I said, that that don't, that don't make sense. So now all of a sudden these neighborhoods that no one considered to have any value, if any at all, now all of a sudden they're valued at half a million dollars. And this, there's million-dollar homes over. So my partners um, and I, we founded uh, a development company. I said, Raleigh Ray's Development. And I said, man, I want to be a part of, you know, the community where we're going to, develop um, and redevelop these communities and if we're going to do it, let it be us and then if anyone is going to profit let it be us and our people and now we can put this money back into the community and that community that community can circulate and now we can build economic growth for not only ourselves and others and we established that in July and then this, this enormous project came with John Kane um, and everyone pretty much knows him, he's one of the top, if not the top developer in the state of North Carolina, particularly the Raleigh area, and they're talking about this $2.2 billion soccer stadium and everything that's going to be associated with that, and they approached us. And they said, would you guys like to join because we we want you to be the minority participation. And I just basically told them, sure, but it has to be under this regard. It has to be some community benefits for the people that look like me and the people within these communities. And that got to go through workforce development programs. There has to be jobs that's insured, not for one or two years, but in perpetuity, right? And there has to be benefit packages, and there has to be a foundation where we are amplifying what we're already doing within the community so we can allow our people to grow economically, um, create generational wealth for themselves, grow uh, educationally, and just move this thing along because no one is ever. Go- I just feel like this. I hate to be so blunt, but black people is always going to have problems until we have the opportunity to own stuff, right? And so I see it from a different perspective. But I know through ownership, you have the ability to change things, and through ownership, you don't have to depend on others to do anything for you. And I think that's our primary problem. And again, the historian to me in 1963, Martin Luther King marched on Washington. And the premise of that march was jobs, justice, and ownership. Well, here we are in 2020, and we could march on Washington, and the same premise would be jobs, justice, and ownership. So if we're going to change anything that systemically placed us in these positions, I think it has to be a plan that will systemically get us out. And the only way I know how, and I'm not pretending to be the smartest guy or to know it all, but the only way I know how is through economic growth, through education, and through ownership. And so that's kind of the summary of what Raleigh Raised is about. And, um, you know, I look forward to working with this project in our community to enhance the quality of life of others. Very well said. Not just a basketball coach, but a carer of his community. He is Lavelle Moten. He is also the head men's basketball coach at North Carolina Central (laughs) as he joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. The Eagles are going to be at UNC uh, on Saturday, man, we gotta we gotta really catch up and really sit down and 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 really talk about this. I'm out of time, man, but I appreciate your candor in the conversation. Continued success to you and the Eagles. 
You're the best, man. I appreciate you having me on anytime, Don. Thank you so much, bro. Got to run. Thank you, Lavelle Moten, Jamie Chadwell, Kevin Brodus, for joining us today on the program. And always remember to support those that support you. From the Press Box to Press Row is presented by DW Communications.